Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. Okay, is Friday good to meet with Diane for lunch? Yes. I can't believe we're finally going to meet her in person. I can't believe we haven't met her. (laughs) It's insane. And we can bring her her Christmas presents there because we never gave her her Christmas presents. Oh, my God. Happy spring. It'll be a happy spring present or summer. Summer. Oh, my gosh. We've missed all the seasons. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In today's episode, we'll discuss the state of the company we were so excited to start two years ago. Then we'll talk to one of our favorite podcasters and authors, Leanne Dolan, about her writing process and her new book, Lost and Found in Paris, which we both loved. And this week's Hollywood hack will improve your social life. Okay, Sarah, it is time to dive into From the Treadmill Desk of, in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches. And this week, it's the state of fun job productions. So for context, Fun Job Productions is the company name of the company that you and I started, was it two years ago, three years ago? I think it was like two and a half, yeah. Okay, because as our listeners know from our extensive talking about it, (laughs) we wanted to start a company to make scripted podcasts, podcasts that are like a drama-only audio. Yes. And this came up because your business manager sent an email saying, hey, do you guys want to keep this company going? (laughs) We were like, "Uh, yes. Yes, Yes, we do. Spoiler alert. We do. We want to keep it. We want to keep it going. Yes. So we said yes. But the thing is, we haven't done any uh, podcasts yet, even though it's been a couple of years. We did start writing one. We actually have, I think, two scripts. We do. It was that a horrible thing that you can't even fathom will happen, which is our first podcast was about a pandemic. And then suddenly we were in the midst of a global pandemic and our 
podcast didn't seem that entertaining anymore. It just felt like a reflection of our incredibly unpleasant real life. So we put it on the back burner and then we were doing Fantasy Island and we haven't had time to breathe since then. Yeah. You know what I've realized, Sarah, is if we had not had work for whatever reason, we would have done this. You know, what it is, it's the sort of necessity is the mother of invention. It's like, had there been this void in our work life where we weren't in our chosen profession of television writing, you and I would have been, okay, we're not doing a pandemic, we're doing something else. I mean, we had like four other ideas we wanted to pursue, and we would have probably written and produced at least two of them by now. Right. Because we would have risen up in the absence of doing television. But in having a show, that just becomes all consuming. And the idea of then like doing this whole other big undertaking was just not possible or even desirable. Right. I mean, we've talked quite a bit about how intense. That's an understatement. The Fantasy yeah. Island process has been, and I I agree. I think if we hadn't been doing that and there had been any space at all, we would have pursued something, even if, even if we didn't want to do the pandemic podcast right away. But what's interesting is like, I'm hopeful now that maybe we'll have a little bit of a breath so we can think about it and go, oh, wait a minute, is there something we want to do under the Fun Jobs production banner? Yeah, so we each have our own little company. I have Paco and Blackjack, and you have Lucky Enough. But Fun Job is something that the two of us have together. Yes, and of course, we want to always be building toward whatever is next. So Fun Job is the is the yes. foundation of that, whatever that is. Yeah, it's funny, Sarah, because... We haven't thought about it for a few months, and Tony bringing that up made both of us get sparked, like, oh my gosh, we can't have this company that doesn't do anything. We have to (laughs) do something now. Yes. Because we don't want to feel chagrined that we're keeping this thing alive for absolutely no reason. So we need a reason for being. Yes. And we have to get that started before we're too busy again. Yes. That's the key. Well, that is the key. Don't know what it's going to be, but it will be something. (laughs) Hopefully sooner rather than later. Yes, exactly. All right. Coming up, we are so excited to talk with author and fellow podcaster Leon Dolan about her book and what we really want to know about her writing process. But first, this break. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. 
Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Okay, we are back with an interview with our special guest, Leon Dolan. Leon is a writer and talker. She's the author of four best-selling novels, including her latest, Lost and Found in Paris. Her other books are The Sweeney Sisters, Helen of Pasadena, and Elizabeth the First Wife. Leon is also the producer and host of Satellite Sisters, the award-winning talk show she created with her four real sisters, It started as a radio show and is now a top-rated podcast for women. I love the Dolan sisters, Sarah. Yes, I know. you, And and so do I. You have made me a complete fan. (laughs) You found them first, and (laughs) I have followed in your footsteps enthusiastically. (laughs) (laughs) Leon's new book, Lost and Found in Paris, is... According to Kristen Harmel, the New York Times bestselling author, a fast-paced and colorful book with hints of the Goldfinch and Malibu Rising and more than one pitch-perfect love story. Lost and Found in Paris sparkles like the city of light itself and will have you flipping the pages quickly as you're drawn deeply into its mysterious world of art, intrigue, and redemption. Leanne, welcome. We're so excited to talk to you today. Oh, I'm so happy to be back. Thank you so much. First of all, we have to tell you we both absolutely loved Lost and Found in Paris. It was like we were in this intense work period and then we both read the book at the same time and it was like the perfect transition into feeling like we were really on vacation. It was like so just fun and engaging and like twisty and moved and it just like totally brought me into summer. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, I I wanted the book to feel like you spent a week vacationing in Paris and, you know, maybe made a few mistakes, had too much to drink, met a cute guy, (laughs) things happened, got a little out of control. Yes. So I'm so glad that worked for you. (laughs) Yes. So, Leanne, we have brought you here for our own selfish reasons. Aside from just spreading the word about Lost and Found in Paris, Sarah and I both want to write books, and we have written books, okay? So we have done this before, but we feel that we've just, like, lost our book writing ability. So we really want to grill you about book writing. Oh, this will be fun. Oh, okay. Yeah, bring it on. You're our inspiration (laughs) here. So first of all, where does a book start for you? Is it with, like, just a kernel of an idea or a more full-fledged idea? It's a kernel. It's a kernel of an idea, and it takes a while for it to, like, work its way to the top of my brain. But this book in particular, Lost and Found in Paris, was really the third of a series that I conceived before I had written a single book. So just a lot of overconfidence in that. Mm. But it was (laughs) Helen of Pasadena, Elizabeth, the first wife, and then this was originally titled Joan of Art. And it was the idea of a modern woman being inspired by a historical woman. So that was the kernel of the idea. I thought by the third book, I'd be a better writer and I would want to go to Paris. So really, those were, so that was like where it started. But then you have to actually fill in the story and like make things happen. But it started with just an idea of a character. And then, you know, in TV, we take things constantly from our own lives and our friends' lives and our staff's lives. We kind of work that into our stories. How much for you does, does your real life intersect with the stories that you're telling? 
You know, it's less my personal life, but more just the things I've absorbed and like, you know, taken on board over a the entirety of my life. You know, everything I read in the newspaper, there's a 9-11 storyline in this book. Uh, that came directly from a front page article in the LA Times, like, on the 12th of September, you know, there were a couple of TV producers that died uh, on the plane in 9-11 and they were on the front page of the LA Times. And to me, I thought, wow, LA is really a company town. Like that's what fame buys you in the middle of this national tragedy. Eurobit is on the front page of the paper and there's no, I, I don't know the people. I'm sure they were lovely, but this was just, that stuck in my head for like 10 years. I played around with this idea of of fame and what it must be like to grow up with famous parents. And that must be a very odd, bizarre thing from what I've observed in Los Angeles. <laughs> it gives you completely <laughs> different access. So there's, you know, there's kind of that. There's fame. And then like my niece is an art courier. Like the whole mm. art courier, art heist oh, uh, wow. concept came after just a conversation with her. I had this main character and her dad was going to be an artist and her mom was going to be a famous model. And, you know, she was going to be what she thought was like the average daughter of above average parents. But how was I physically going to get her to Paris? Like, what was the reason mm. other than like, woo, post-divorce weekend in Paris, which is kind of dull. So and then my niece Uh, started a job at the Guggenheim where she was carrying paintings all over the world to different museums. And it was like my head exploded. I'm like, how is this not already a TV show? Like, this is the best setup in the world. (laughs) I had never heard of that job before. But of course, once you read about it, it makes perfect sense. You're not just going to ship that with UPS. Right. No, it's total sense. Right. Of course, the paintings have to get from one Guggenheim to another Guggenheim. So so then I went home and like Googled Art Courier, you know, did some deep research. (laughs) And I found a whole series of stories in um, the New York Post. So that's a great, you know, that's going to be quality material about an art courier in New York that had staged a heist, his own heist of his own painting. Oh, wow. And so, like, those were all the things that were sort of stewing around. So some, you know, some my niece, that's her real job. So that's, you know, that I took that from my own life. And my father loved Joan of Arc. So that's kind of a thing. But then, you know, novels are long and a lot of words. So you have to, like, bring more stuff to the party. Well, that brings us to our next area of inquiry here, which is your research process. Because Mm -hmm. we love on Instagram how you sort of take us along with you for your research, like for your new book, it's in Santa Fe, I take from Instagram, and you're doing a lot of cooking, you're learning a lot about cooking. How much research do you do? This one had a lot of art history in it and a lot of history. And those are not, art history is not an area of strength for me. So I I started like I was a college student in Art History 101. I'd learn something one day on Wikipedia and I'd put it in the book the next day. And it sounded idiotic. Like I got, I got about halfway through the book. I'm like, I sound like an idiot. Uh, So I cut about 50 pages, but I decided I'm going to focus on a couple of areas of art history instead of trying to take on all of art history. But I do enough research before I start the book to get started. And then when I'm actually going through the first draft of the manuscripts, I'll I'll reach a place where I know I need 
more background information on a certain subject. And but I, I don't want to take the time in that first draft. You just want to keep moving, keep moving, keep moving to the end of that first draft. So I'll just put five X's in the material, mm. you know, XXX. And then when I'm through the end of that first draft, which is such a great feeling because that's the hardest thing to do in fiction writing, get to the end of that first draft. Then I just go back and search the document for the X's. And I'm like, uh-huh. oh, right. I need a little more information on what was happening in the, you know, L.A. music scene in 1980 because there's a rock and roll storyline. Or, oh, I write there's, you know, some aspect of sacre coeur, you know, that I don't understand. And I was going to research more of that. So enough to get started, but not so much you go down a rabbit hole and then you can fill in selectively is that's how I approach it. The XXX is something we use often in our writing as well. We're like, okay, (laughs) this is just going to be an XXX for now. It's just a simple tool. But if you don't know it, people think you're a genius when you tell them that. Like, yeah, you just, you don't have to write it all in the first draft. Yeah. And do you do outlines, Leanne, or do you just purge a first draft to get a shape of a story? I'm an outliner. I always have been since like the fifth grade when they taught me outlining. And I still do it almost the same way, like subject, you know, topic sentence, A, B, C, D. You know, I I outline, I'll have a basic idea. And then the way the publishing process works, uh, I'll take you through that because you're interested in, in adult fiction now. You very rarely sell stuff on a verbal pitch anymore. And, uh, you know, even an experienced author needs to to create a, a pitch document. So to sell like the last two books I just sold, I had 10 page documents on each book. So that included three or four uh, page synopsis of the entire plot, the beginning, the middle and the end. You can't fudge it. You have to sort of let them know uh-huh. where you're going. That's uh, character outlines. So you know that you're like, oh, I got mm-hmm. the beginning, the middle, but yeah. the beginning, the middle, the end. And then character details, your main characters and then and then your, you know, even some of your minor characters by the time you get to the end of that 10 page document. And that can take months to put together. So, you know, you're sort of doing the research and figuring it out and writing up my character sketches and thinking about some scenes that I can describe in detail in that document so people can see the book. It's very much like a TV pitch. But then from there, I'll take it and break it down even further. Like once the book sells, I'll break it down even further. I used to do scene by scene. I do that less now than I used to in the beginning, but it's still a pretty well outlined book. That's how that's what works for me. I know other seat of the pants writers, pantsers, just sit down and write. I I don't know how they do that. I don't have the time for that. Um, (laughs) And like how long would a finished outline be? Like 30 pages? Yeah, I mean, I do cards. I do Ah. actual scene cards. So uh, handwritten sort of scene cards and I put them up on a board. And so 50 or 60 cards, you know. So that's similar to how we do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, many years ago, I took screenwriting at AFI, right? When I first moved to Los Angeles, I took a screen, a couple of screenwriting classes there. And I still really write on like a three-act structure. I found that three-act structure and a lot of the things I learned in screenwriting helped me get to the end of a novel. So I, I still use a lot of those same techniques. Oh, that's helpful because I feel like we're so locked into TV writing that it feels hard to make a transition to prose, but maybe it's not as big of a transition as we feel like it is. You're probably dying to write more words. (laughs) (laughs) All we try to do is cut. It's true. (laughs) Yes, it's true. You probably probably write a 
600-page novel when you finally sit down and write it because you're like, wait, we get paragraphs and paragraphs to describe a backstory? Like, yeah, we can actually set the scene. So, yeah, it's it's in you. I believe it. I believe it's in you. That does sound delightful. I have to say, I'm like, wow, we can just sit and, like, let things happen. We had a whole segment the other day on if a set if a sentence is thirteen words, can you make it five words instead? <laughs> right. It's the opposite. It's like yeah. I have one kernel of an idea yeah. and I need twelve hundred words out of yeah. this till I can get up today. So oh, it's the opposite. Funny. So Leon, what is your writing schedule when you're working on a book? When you get up in the morning, then what happens? It starts even before I get up in the morning because weirdly I like to lie in bed and think about what I'm going to write. That's actually part of my process. I like to sort of visualize it. I get up early, you know, around 5.30 or so or wake up, but I'll just lie in bed for uh, 45 minutes and just sort of physically visualize the scene that I'm going to work on today, what's going to happen. And then I get up, have coffee, I walk the dog because that's the law. And then uh-huh. I'm a morning writer. So, you know, by 9 a.m. I'm, I'm usually writing. With fiction, we don't, I don't have 14-hour days like you guys do. It's, uh, you know, five or six f- focused hours. That's a fantastic day for me. So I'll wrap up the fiction writing by, you know, noon. I mean, by like uh, one or two. I'll probably squeeze in two lunches in that time period uh-huh. as well. So, <laughs> but, uh, so, and, you know, I also produce the Satellite Sisters podcast. So like you doing a bunch of other stuff. So what I find with fiction, I can't really do anything else. Like on that's that day. the difference on that day. Like I really need the focus more than anything. So I try not to answer my emails. I don't do any production work. I don't book guests. I don't do social media. Like, so I've, I've discovered if I really compartmentalize the podcast production for Monday and Tuesday and then writing Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, usually if I'm working on a manuscript, I will also re- work Saturdays and Sundays. It can sometimes be a seven day a week process, depending upon how if we're doing a show that week or not. But that's kind of what works for me. I feel like, I mean, you guys, you tell me, I mean, fiction writing is a lot of momentum. You just have right. to keep writing. Yeah, Like writing begets writing is the only way to describe it if you... If it's hit or miss, you just can't get anything going. You have to, like, work every day, and that's how the word count tallies up. Yeah, one thing that we know for sure about writing is you cannot wait for inspiration. You can't be (laughs) in the mood to write. You just have to write. Right, exactly. Are you the kind of writer where you can just sit down and write, or do you have those days where you start and then you say, "Oh, there's a sale at J Crew. Let me check that out." And you know, <laughs> let, do you, you know, go, "Oh, let me, you know, empty the dishwasher and all of that," or are you disciplined in in how you do it? I would say eighty percent of the time I'm disciplined, right? I mean, because it is my job. Like it's your job. Like, and I've been doing freelance work for twenty five years, so working from home is not new for me. I, I've yeah, I don't care how clean my house is most of the time. So that's a good thing. Uh in this case. Have I been known to shop a J. Crew sale? You bet at uh-huh. 10 a.m. But for the most part, once you get into it, I'm into it. And so and it, it, because it's not 12 hours of writing a day, it's if you can really buckle down for four or five hours, you can get a lot of words written in that time. So uh, so and I think that's too where the momentum comes in. That once you get into the you know pattern, because 
you, you have to write, novels take six months to write because it's a lot of words and then rewrites. Like you, you can't really fool around in terms of, um, in terms of taking a lot of days off in between, then then your deadlines sort of stretch out exponentially. I think that's the big difference. It's, you know, even if you're working fast, it still takes six months. And do you have a word novel. count in mind? Because I know a lot of writers are like, okay, I have to get 8,000 words or whatever it is. I don't have a word count in mind. Okay. I, I just, yeah. I mean, I sometimes it's a chapter. Sometimes it's a couple of scenes. I, so I will have to like say to myself, oh, just finish this stupid scene before you get up, which is different than, you know, a word count. But I know other writers use a word count. And Leanne, can you talk a little about rewriting? Because obviously writers always say writing is rewriting. Do you have a particular problem? process or people you let read a first draft or do you keep it to yourself? What's your rewriting process? Every book has been slightly different in terms of the rewriting. But, you know, for Lost and Found in Paris, it it was a book that took me a long time to write for a variety of reasons. I had a couple of readers on it, but ultimately my editor, you know, that's why you with fiction, you work very closely with your executive editor and, and they really help shape it. The rewriting process, when I get to that, the end of that first draft, it's great. But then I will go back in. Then I'll have a couple of people read it for a variety of reasons, most of whom are writers. About the book I'm writing right now is about a long-term marriage. So I have a marriage therapist reading it along with me, mm. a friend of mine, because I want to get some professional input in that case. But then with the rewrites, again, it's a lot of words. You know, you're at 80,000 words. It takes a long time to even just go through the draft. I will do rewrites for specific things. First, I'll do that XXX thing. Where do I need to fill in? Where do I need to build out? Okay. And then I'll go through and I'll take a pass on dialogue. You know, there will definitely be scenes that I know this could be sharper, this could be funnier, it could be shorter, it's too expository. So I'll just do a dialogue pass. With Lost and Found in Paris, there were a lot of details in that book that depended on timeline because it's sort of a clicking, uh, you know, a a ticking clock kind of thing. That is not a particular (laughs) strength of mine. (laughs) So I was like having... I mean, even like what year was she born? How old is she now? Like all that stuff. Oh, so many details. So I will, I did maybe three or four passes on that stuff. Like, okay, it's Thursday night. Okay, now it's Friday morning. Okay, how how many hours is she sleeping? Okay, did she have a meal? Like I just had to map all of that stuff out. And then I have to do, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I, I'm not great. At, I, I'm not super comfortable doing any of the romance or sex scenes. So then I just do a sex scene pass, basically, mm, because yeah. I'm, I was like, okay, so, okay, I'm going to write it. I'm going to do it. I'm never going to look at it again. You know, it's oh, very childish. Funny. But so, so I do rewrites with like specific things in mind. And then I get notes from friends and then I'll address readers, I'll address that. And then you hand it into an editor and you get a 20-page editorial letter on everything that's going right or not right. So that's a whole other process once you get to the editor stage. I take the same approach. Like, you can't rewrite everything all at once. You have to compartmentalize it in fiction writing. This For me, I do this, I do this, I do this. I'm going to check the first act. Let me t- see how the end works. I just have to break it up. And do you find that the plot can often change quite dramatically in your rewriting? It doesn't. The pl- 
my plots haven't changed dramatically. In Lost and Found in Paris, one of the interesting things that happened is the perspective changed. You know, mm. I sold that book in 2018. And then the ah. I also sold the Sweeney Sisters. And the publishing house wanted to bring out the Sweeney Sisters first. Well, that was a pitch. I hadn't written that book. It wasn't on spec. It wasn't written on spec. It wasn't written yet. So I had to go write a whole other book and, oh uh, and bring out a whole other book. And then there was a pandemic. And then I got cancer. And then there was like more stuff. So by the time I got the editor's letter for Lost and Found in Paris, it was 2021. Like, I hadn't even read the book in three years, either had the editor who bought it. So when she gave me the notes, all of a sudden, it was just a, we had gained a lot of perspective. There's this, a grief and loss storyline in Lost and Found in mm-hmm. Paris. And all of a sudden, we were in the middle of another national tragedy with a lot of grief and loss. And I felt like, uh, you know, this public grief, this private loss, I felt like I had a lot more information to put in there. And the editor just said a few things like, I think the last third of this book, instead of sort of blame and punishment, it needs to be about forgiveness and the future. And and I, I don't know how to describe it, but it was like taking the lens and turning it 180 degrees and looking back and going, oh. So that was like one of those vague rewrite notes, but I totally got it. And so that yeah. precipitated a lot of rewrites in the last third of the book. So it didn't so much change the plot as it changed the whole, I think, the feel of the, the the point of the book, some of the lessons of the book. God, this is so, I could talk to you about this all day. <laughs> well, I want you guys to write a book uh, together. I, I you got to write it together or separately? <laughs> we have, th- we have thoughts both. on both. Together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, it is the big difference between what I do and what you do. What I do is not collaborative. Right. You know, and that's a huge you, it, in, in some ways, it's great. You know, what I do on Satellite Sisters is collaborative and has been collaborative for 20 years, and that's its own fun. And that's what the kind of fun and collaborative ideas you have in a writer's room. Super fun. Fiction, not really collaborative. Even if you have readers and an editor, it's still you just yes. it's all coming out of your head. Which is a good and a bad thing. So, so, so I mean, I I like sitting down and working alone, and then I like it when it's over, you yeah. know, and I can work on something else. Yes. Yeah, the notion of only getting notes from one person sounds really delightful. <laughs> it <laughs> does. <laughs> I bet. I bet. So, Leon, before we let you go, do you have any other advice for us or for our listeners who want to write a book? I think we have a lot of listeners who are fellow writers. Anything we can take with us? The thing I did, I only started writing fiction at at age 45. I had written all kinds of other things. I'd written some TV scripts and some some screenplays. Still available. Call me. Um, <laughs> I, you know, written for radio, done a lot of magazine writing, written nonfiction essays. But fiction was new for me. I, I felt like it needed to, it, it felt like so big to take on and so brave. You know what? I signed up for a class. Like I signed up in 2009 when the economy was crashing. I had lost our radio job at Satellite Sisters. Like ABC had sold off the radio division. So we were starting the podcast then, but our day job was gone. I signed up for an online writing class, which at the time was like crazy. Nothing was online. Yeah. And that... First of all, I, I announced it to people. So there's public humiliation, right? You mm-hmm. have to fall through. Mm-hmm. There's accountability. Yeah. You know, Gretchen always says that. Yes. Like, you got to turn things in. 
And then there's that piece where you have to start sharing your writing and getting critique, but from people you trust, you know? So if you're in a writing class, there's a good teacher, there are other writers there working hard and giving you helpful information. That's the key. The big difference I see with people who want to write a book and people who are published is that they share their work. And they take critique and they make the adjustments they need. And I think a class really helps you do that. And one of the things that the pandemic has opened up is access to really great classes at really great schools like UCLA Writers Extension that are available online now. And they're really good teachers teaching at those classes because writers all need to have 12 jobs, you yes. know, novelists. So yes. we <laughs> talk about that you on know. the podcast. Yeah. yeah. You need those multiple streams of income. Yeah, right. I And you, so, you can find a good class. And I I think that's the key. It's it's forcing you to do the work, but then sharing it. Like, you're just not going to get any better unless someone is is reading your work. Well, Leanne, thank you. This is this is so inspiring. Oh, good. I love talking to you. Um, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's been it's been my pleasure. I love listening to your show because it inspi- inspires me every week, good. too. I love that you're out there just, like, I don't know how you do this podcast and write that darn TV show at the same time time. So hats off to you all. <laughs> well, and now we're going to add book writing to that as well. So yeah. here we go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling motivated. Thanks, Leanne. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Coming up, we will assess our social circle, but first this break. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, Liz, it's time for this week's Hollywood Hack. Have friends of all ages. Now, this is something you have been very successful at. So so please share. Yes, I heard at some point that it's really good to have friends of different ages. So even different generations, right? And I indeed have managed to have friends, you know, who are much younger uh, than me. One of my best friends is, I think... 15 years younger than I am, maybe 12 years younger. And then you and I have a friend who recently retired, who's probably a good over 20 years older than you and I are. So that's quite a range. That's a range of probably 35 years. And what I love about it is that you get different people's points of view from different times in life that we may not be in. Absolutely. It's such a smart thing. And I think I don't I'm thinking about it and I'm like, I don't think I have any like younger friends. So this is something for me to work on in Ojai. I'm gonna go seek out some younger friends. <laughs> but I feel like the some friend young that we're talking about. Friends. There you go. I feel like the friend that we're talking about who is older than us. I mean, we've known her since we were in our late twenties, I think. And 
she has yes. been such an enriching force in our lives. Like, she is so cool and awesome, and I'm so glad that we know her. So I, it is so important to, like, reach out and have connections with people. I want to say and not really think about their age, but that is a part of it because they do bring something different into your life based on where they are in their own lives. Yeah, and it also gives you perspective sort of when you have a younger friend Seeing a younger person go through things gives you perspective. And then also seeing an older person kind of gives you a bit of a window into the future. And one thing that I think is also really interesting is even someone can be younger or older in years, but then be very contemporary in what they're experiencing, right? Yes. Because you and I both had kids at what we'll call an older, quotes, age, a lot of moms we meet are much younger. So we're going through the same things. We may have kids the same age and be going through that experience, and yet they're doing it just chronologically earlier. Right. I don't know. It's just, to me, it's just very enriching. You know, I'm all about friends, right? I always feel like I don't have enough friends, and the friends I have, I don't see enough, and I want... Uh, the circle of friends here and the circle of friends there. And I, it's just very important to me. And I feel like that span gives me comfort for some reason that it'll just sort of never end, that you'll always have this group of friends. Now, on a very practical level, I remember my grandma, my dad's mom, for some reason, all of her friends, most of them were much younger and it was very handy when she became old and had a hard time getting around because her young friends would come and pick her up and like <laughs> put her wheelchair in the trunk and take her to lunch and things. Aww. And we always said, gosh, if her friends were her same age, they wouldn't be able to do that. So we're so lucky that she has these young friends to take her out. You and I aren't anywhere close to that, but something to keep in mind. It's a very practical approach. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Have someone who can carry your wheelchair and do it for someone else. Yes, exactly. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. We love to hear from you. Email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and please follow us if you haven't already. Thanks to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, and thanks to everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thanks to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Check out the other Onward Project podcasts. Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, Do the Thing from Whole30's Melissa Urban, and Everything Happens with Kate Bowler. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at sfain and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job and we enjoy it Sarah I think we have an actual like meeting today with an executive I know and I realized I did not bring my makeup bag to Minnesota so it's it's gonna be I'm gonna like have low light or something (laughs) what we see is what we get yep exactly that is Hilarious. I think I have mascara. From the Onward Project.